welcome to the Age of Plastic podcast, a podcast about the environment with me, an average consumer, Andrea Fox. Um, I hope I'm an average consumer, frankly. I am hoarding my plastic this week for the Everyday Plastic Survey Lockdown Edition. You can find out more about that on our last podcast. Coming up on today's show, as always, we'll have a guest and an eco life hack. Uh, do get in touch with yours via the socials or my email, which I'll tell you about at the end of today's episode. And if you do like this podcast, please like, rate and review. Um, not only does it boost my fragile ego, but apparently it helps like-minded people find the podcast. So today's guest talking all things sustainable and people and planet centric is the lovely Sophie Slater from sustainable ethical fashion brand Birdsong. We spoke just after Fashion Revolution Week. We cover fashion and furloughing, what COVID-19 means for the fashion world and keeping your hope up during a pandemic. We also had um, some lovely video call moments of uh, sharing too much information, which I hope you enjoy as much as we did. Here is Sophie Slater from Birdsong joining me via the internet on the Age of Plastic podcast. Sophie Slater from Birdsong, thank you for joining me on the Age of Plastic podcast. Thank you so much for having me and uh, it's really nice to be able to chat. I know and I'll I'll share this now, I'm I'm being a massive suck up wearing my Birdsong Optimist t-shirt. Making me so happy, I'm like really bad that I'm not representing today, everything is in the wash. I mean I need to go in the wash, the the truth is that I have like a lovely clean Birdsong t-shirt but it's not washed today so I didn't want to put it on even though no one can smell me because I'm like... I brushed my teeth five minutes ago, so there we go. Not brushed mine yet. Lockdown life, isn't it? Um, You've got to um, treat for yourself, haven't you? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Save that little fun thing for maybe after lunch. So we are chatting after Fashion Revolution Week. So I'm guessing you've been just a little bit busy, even though everything's in sort of lockdown edition. Uh, What were you up to last week with that? Yeah, it's so wild because obviously we usually say we've got like three Christmases. There's regular Christmas. Feminist Christmas, which is International Women's Day, and then Ethical Christmas, which is Fashion Revolution Week. <laughs> Super busy time for us. It's one of our peak seasons. And usually I'd be out and about in London doing about 10 events in a week, speaking. Um, and this time, because we've kind of just been in survival mode, it got to literally the week before last. And I was like, oh, oh, wow, it's Fashion Revolution Week next week. <laughs> so um, I got quite a lot of like, It wasn't just me. I think I got quite a lot of last minute emails being like, okay, so here's the plan now. We were going to do this. Instead, do you want to do this Instagram live? Do you want to do this Zoom panel? So still got to meet like loads of really cool people, um, albeit behind the screen, which was cool. Um, Met some people working in, you know, slave free trade, um, other ethical fashion brands. And we did a series of Instagram live conversations with some of our favorite mentors and figures in the fashion industry. So we had a talk with our board member, Mima Viglesio, who uh, is ex-contributing editor at Show Studio. She used to edit Lula magazine. She does a lot of work in sustainability now. And she was also the head of communications for the whole of Gucci group, which is amazing. And now she's kind of using her powers for good. Amazing. And then we also speak to my absolute fave blogger and someone I genuinely just love going down the pub with, um, who's Arja Barber. Love her. I knew you were going to say Arja. I love Arja. (laughs) Amazing. We really deviated because it ended up more like a private hangout with like 400 people watching on Instagram Live, but we were just having a laugh. Um, I think we're going to continue with those. So that's cool. And then um, we also spoke to Alice Wilby, who's been a really prominent 
um, figure in Exile's boycott fashion. She's also done loads of styling work for us. She's one of the first people I met in sustainability about five years ago and has never stopped inspiring me. She's great. She's also one of the founding directors of Fashion Revolution, I think. Um, and then we had a really nice grounding meditation from Leah, who's the face of our spring campaign to finish with. And you can get the transcripts slash videos of all the talks, well, most of them, tech difficulties aside, <laughs> on our Patreon account, which is kind of like, for those of you who don't know, it's kind of like um, a subscription magazine sort of service. It's like, it's kind of like a mini Instagram. There's a lot of behind the scenes blogging and content um, and you can sign up from £1 a month to support your favorite creators and ours is on there too and we're yeah. on there so it's a really great way to support us so yeah it was quite a busy week it was kind of like back-to-back -back videos and calls I didn't think I'm usually quite extroverted and I think I get quite a lot of energy from from doing talks and meeting people but it's weird with video calls because they end and then you just not in your pants because I wasn't dressed for everything but like you know in your room and I don't know it was it was still really great to connect but I am really missing the kind of like in-person events um mm. having said that I feel like the conversation in Fashion Revolution was fantastic this year I love that they brought out the what's in your clothes kind of hashtag mm. um there was some <clears throat> really great picking apart of the transparency index um you know because I think they do a fantastic job with that but as we all know transparency does not equal sustainability does not equal ethics so I saw some really fantastic content around that and it was just great because it obviously originated as a digital campaign an online campaign so it was great to see it go back to those roots and, and see so much engagement I was just thinking there was so much done considering people weren't meeting up it really was amazing and absolutely lots of people keep saying oh you know with everything that's going on are environmental issues going to sort of drop off the radar do they seem less important but I feel like it's the exact opposite don't, don't you do you feel absolutely. like because I think like you know what we're seeing now is a taste of what you know might well will, will happen if you know our global supply chains dry up um, you know, I think loads of people are saying, you know, climate change is already happening. It's just not distributed very fairly as with most things. So I really hope people's consumption slowing down and, you know, seeing the effects of pollution makes them link it to climate change. And also what we can do collectively and like from a government perspective to slow consumption down and think about, you know, what's really important, what resources do we need to use and what's essential, essential like, yeah, you know, do we need to be shopping on the high street every Saturday to to fill our time or could we be using those newfound hobbies perhaps that we've all taken up? We can all do our lumpy clay sculptures and Bob Ross paintings instead perhaps. So I don't know about you, I'm going to be a banana bread uh, baker. Just uh, once it's all over. I've got a second career as a terrible guitarist. Uh, oh, books, so. excellent. <laughs> I've, I've been dusting off my bass guitar as well. One of these oh, days. Oh, amazing. I, I play it. bass. Oh, well, I, haven't, I say I play it. I haven't played it in about two years. That's a problem. But. Snap. Well, we've got no excuse now, have we? Um, I just want to wind back to the start, though. Uh, 2014, Birdsong started. So what were you thinking around that time? What was, what was kind of the ethos when you said up bird song it's a really apt way to link back to fashion revolution week actually because i think it, we started we founded 18 months after the rana plaza collapse so there'd only been a one fashion revolution week or two yeah one i think 
when we when we um started and that really made a massive impression on me um and my background was actually working in women's organizations which is why we source for anyone who doesn't know we we collaborate with small community organizations and charities in london mostly in tower hamlets which is the borough with the highest wealth and equality in the uk and we pay London living wage um, for these community groups to manufacture our clothing, working with only the most skilled and talented seamstresses, um, and there are plenty of them. And yeah, my background was working in women's organisations. Um, I worked, I did a bit of helpline training at a rape crisis centre. I was working with women in homelessness quite a lot. And basically one of my jobs when I was working in homelessness was making a map of all the women's organisations in London, which could offer support and I noticed there was a lot we were doing a lot of crafting as well because it's really therapeutic and I was looking at maybe ways of it generating income streams for more marginalized women um, and then kind of talking to these women's charities they were so cut to shreds their funding was like in tatters they had all these therapeutic crafting programs but no way to make them commercial because they already had enough work to do and you know starting a brand is one thing supporting quite vulnerable people um is another and to be able to do both of those is a massive task so we kind of spoke to a lot of women's organizations and formed birdsong around their needs because they weren't super confident in digital they weren't super confident with social media or press or you know knowing which photographers to to kind of approach and and even selling online because we forget that e-commerce is a relatively new um you know industry it's about 10 years old and or 15 years old at this point it was about 10 years old when we started um, and a lot of these women's organizations have been going and selling crafts for about 30 years now so we were kind of like pitched ourselves as like an intermediary and at first we were just a marketplace um, my business partner was working at an older person's day center and we put a bunch of their scarves online and then next thing we knew they'd sold out and we got a bit of funding and then about two years in, we realized that the scarves were very different lengths and <laughs> from varying quality because a lot of the wool was purchased from Wilco's, which isn't the most sustainable. <laughs> so we decided to hire a designer and Sue does all our collections in-house now and uses the most sustainable fabrics that she can find. Um, so yeah, that was kind of our thought process. I guess at the time I was, you know, watching this burgeoning feminist movement grow um, but not seeing it translate to women's organizations and women really at the sharp point of patriarchy. It was just about when all these brands were like, yes, girl boss, like hashtag feminism. But then like, I knew those clothes weren't produced in an ethical manner. I'd worked for ethical and, and like sustainable brands just in retail since I was a teenager and it was something I was really passionate about. So I thought a good way to put the two and two together would be to create this kind of blog and fashion market marketplace as it was at the time it's now become a brand um, mm. to support those women's organizations and yeah it's taken a little while for the kind of living wage message to get through it's really interesting like when we first started we could only get column inches and press based on the fact we didn't photoshop our models that's all anyone wants to talk about and then <laughs> yeah it's, it's I guess because like feminism was like embody positivity was the big big thing and also like this is before now you see stretch marks in every single like campaign you see like more size diversity back in 2014 unfortunately that was quite rare so and we just did it out of kind of like naivety because I didn't even think to photoshop our models <laughs> it just didn't occur to me 
and we've always used our friends and kind of activists and people we're inspired by when you you know when you love someone when you when you know them you just look at them and think they're perfect and think you know how could I see them as anything but that so so true like your friends are always going oh I hate this about myself and I'm like I would never have even thought that I never see that in you exactly so yeah and then obviously sustainability got massive so we got quite a lot of coverage based on that and now I think this fashion revolution a lot of people have been talking about human rights and that's something that the pandemic's brought to light is the human rights cost you know of fast fashion and H&M might be the most transparent brand in the world according to their own social media but not a single one of their garment makers makes a living wage yet so um madness isn't it yeah yeah it's really interesting but I think people are finally I feel like this was always the last wave of consumer consciousness and we're ready to be like yep been doing that since 2014 (laughs) it's so interesting though that you've built like that sustainability in from from the outset and and like you were saying like we were just talking before we started I know who your embroiders are and because you put you talk about them and you've had to we've had set up emergency funds for them recently it is so transparent um and 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 that is so important and it's and it's funny isn't it that the photoshopping came first yeah I guess that was like because until Suze came on board who has got you know she is a trained fashion designer she's worked in fashion mostly for ethical brands and she's super into sustainability um me and my business partner didn't know anything about how to run a fashion brand so we kind of bypassed a lot of the practices I think we through naivety we actually kind of forced our own path a little bit it just didn't occur to us to you know haggle on price because why would we we were set up to make a a good revenue for the women we work with never occurred to us photoshop and we didn't really have the skills or the budget anyway so um, (laughs) it's just funny what kind of gets picked up and it speaks to the cultural mood I think of um, you know I think there's quite a lot of depth to the brand and there's a lot to talk about and and that's why it's kind of had a few waves of um of what I don't know of what people identify with it what people like about it and um it's cool that we're finally talking about living wages and people are getting excited about that because also you know we've got a much bigger audience than we did in the beginning yeah Um, but yeah I guess like living wages is a bit of a sexier concept now (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking that like you know the photoshop thing was the sexy thing and actually now people are a bit more like no actually uh can we have a bit of social justice please absolutely Um, it's like baby steps you know you've got a you got I think like no Photoshop is really important, but mm. I feel like living wages is, you know, this is this is the big guns now. Yeah. <laughs> this is the this is the foundation stuff. We're really getting into the deep stuff. Um, I mean, everything that's going on at the moment, like you say, a lot of um, transparency around who made my clothes and with a high street shut, quite a few people are saying, Oh well, you know, what does this mean for the fast fashion brands? Um what's your kind of take on that because I don't want to be like too gleeful about people losing their jobs but we know that fast fashion have not been doing things above board for a long long time so do you think this is sort of a reckoning for them the fact that the pandemic's come at this point I really hope so it's really tricky because you know these brands have never ever put people or planet before profit and it's really not surprising it's like horrible but not shocking in the slightest that these kind of news stories have come out about cancelling orders making non-essential warehouse staff go in not investing in PPE 
you know, even in Barnsley, you know, when we look at warehouses, um, ASOS have come under fire for not protecting their warehouse staff. Um, and it's really tricky because obviously we know that there's a humanitarian crisis now being caused in Bangladesh because garment exports account for what, 80% of the economy? And this is, um, or 80% of exports, I should say, are from the garment trade, from European brands, from, you know, brands based in the UK, a lot of those. So we have a huge responsibility, I think, to to lobby government to incentivise brands to pay proper wages, because at the minute there are no tax breaks for good behaviour. You know, we still have to pay VAT, we still pay our taxes. There's no incentive for these brands to to treat people better. And these brands can afford their own factories. They could buy their own factory. They could deck it out like a WeWorks. They could have free coffee on tap. They could have a creche. They could have yoga classes. But they don't. They deliberately don't own their factories so that as soon as one factory offers a cheaper price, they can switch. And when, you know, people in Bangladesh have been fighting tirelessly for better workers' rights and unionising, putting all this work in despite incredibly challenging circumstances, Unfortunately, these big brands will just pick up and go to the next place, which isn't unionized. So these brands are looking to relocate to factories in Ethiopia now. So, you know, to say that we're shocked by their, um, yeah, I don't think, I don't think people are shocked who, who know what, you know, these brands, what their game is. But, um, and I don't, I don't think, you know, that I don't want to be gleeful about the, the decline of fast fashion. I do think, they need to produce less and they need to produce better quality. What I would like to see is them really taking accountability and, and buying these stable, you know, um, positive work environment factories, doing them up, maybe employing slightly less people, but in better conditions and with more chance for mobility. I don't know. It's a really tricky one. I think this is also the danger of like um, planting yourself in a country which you have you know as a former colonizer um taken resources from and then swooping in to take advantage of the fact that your culture has economically you know made wages very low and then you know it's like a form of a it's a, a it's a further version of colonialism to to go into these countries and fuck up their economy sorry for flaring <laughs> i might have to bleep that out <laughs> um, and this is why i think it's so i don't want to be nationalistic i think we absolutely have to work internationally you know there's there's a reason we get our fabrics from india and from china which is that they're artisanal crafts we want to support and you know they're just the best at making those you know we haven't got the skill set here to make woven fabrics as much in the UK so we want to support that but we want to pay a living wage for it um but also it's really important to work locally because you know I think a lot of big business is a form of colonialism especially when you're exploiting workers in that country not giving anything back to the local economy so it's super super thorny and super super complicated and really these bosses should be unpicking you know the the consequences but um i don't think they're going to do it so it's really tough to see what might happen i mean maybe the fast fashion brands will close down and then someone better will come along who's got better morals and employ people like i'm really always really inspired by the hewitt denim story where there was a town in wales and cardigan um the denim factory got shut down because the company went bust and then david hewitt came in and rehired everyone and now they make you know really beautiful ethically made jeans 
um, for decent wages. So hopefully that could happen, but it's, it's a bit of a long shot. Yeah. I just think, you know, being aware of, of other brands who've done things like that is, is really good for like, cause you know, even if Hewitt's on a smaller scale, they're still making a blueprint. And I think with Birdsong, we knew we were never going to be the same size as ASOS or H&M. We don't want to be because they produce more clothes than we humanly need. Um, but what we do hope is to be a bit of a blueprint for things to be a little bit better. And in an ideal world, I'd love to see tiny, you know, community um, units like Birdsong working all around the world. So, yeah. Fingers crossed. So you don't think it's like the end for fast fashion just yet then, no? It's so tricky. I think unless the government prioritises, you know, the fixing fast fashion report, for example, because a lot, I think we, we tend to think, you know, as consumers as well, one, it's not up to us and individual choices because, you know, that's, that's unfair when these brands spend billions trying to get us to want things and making us believe that they're going to sell us back a missing part of ourselves that's going to make us 10 times better. But on the other hand, as a country, we are hugely responsible for a lot of the garment manufacture that is happening and now the, you know, the humanitarian crisis because of the entrepreneurs we have in this country who aren't paying their taxes, who are manufacturing abroad without paying decent wages. And we have a kind of responsibility to lobby the government if we're in the know about this stuff. So I do think we need to act. Um, and I think, you know, that is happening. You know, Fashion Revolution are doing fantastic things. Labour behind the label are doing fantastic things. Um, we just need to keep our foot on the government's neck a little bit about it and not let them forget that just because it's a pandemic. I mean, they've got plenty of criticism at the minute, obviously. Um, they're not doing anything particularly well, but... <laughs> so true, isn't it? I can so say true. that. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, it's a tough one. I think we just need to really use this time to sharpen our empathy for garment workers around the world and all those you know key workers who are being forced to work um and the non-essential key non-essential workers who are being forced to work i think hopefully what this brings is more empathy towards retail staff um anyone who has to work long hours in undignified conditions for less than a living wage yeah it's crazy isn't it like i mean i'll be surprised if the arcadia group survives with its reputation intact never mind anything else but the point you made as well about the reason we go to India and China is they are skilled jobs but we don't treat them like like that in the same way that we're flying Romanians over to pick our fruit and veg because we don't want to do it and when we do try and do it we're terrible at it because actually that is a skilled <laughs> job and exactly. we, just, we just don't we don't take it we take it for granted and pay like the absolute minimum exactly poverty wages yeah I just think we really need to keep an eye on the government and make sure they don't bail Arcadia out or if they do there's conditions attached to it like treating their workers yeah. better or maybe even just like having their banking here not being it everything goes to his wife who is apparently lives in monaco exactly exactly i'm sure he has if he sold off a few yachts he could bail himself out the yachts make me so mad <laughs> <laughs> it's just the like symbol of excess isn't it yeah it's like i can't even remember who said it now but like why why do we have billionaires like why are billionaires a thing billionaires shouldn't be a thing i think a lot of people are saying that yeah <laughs> yeah looking around now it's like doesn't seem that radical anymore to be like why <laughs> so true um i mean i do want to talk about how difficult it has been for you as a brand during covid19 like we talk about the high street but it's difficult for everyone so 
has that been quite stressful? How have you managed to protect your workers and your business at the moment? It's been a strange one. We're quite tough little resilient uh, nuts at bed <laughs> so it's been survival <laughs> mode. We've got a t-shirt that says tough enough that I've been wearing a lot. Like, yeah. um, I think like oh, it's so it's so hard. I mean I'm I'm feeling like you know we've got to be positive because and, and actually the response from all our audience and our customers has been so overwhelmingly positive and lovely that my morale is actually quite high so that's been great and it is it has been a nice time to kind of reconnect with all our customers and doing instagram lives has been a really nice way to just to find out a bit more about who shops from us and, and what they like and what they want to see but it has been really tricky so in a kind of good way we just moved to a pre-order system so we weren't selling any garments um well we weren't making any garments that we weren't going to sell so we just launched this beautiful new tent sale gorgeous best of a collection yet in- it's gorgeous i have got my eye on two <laughs> things and i'm like oh and, I, and I, i've been like ordering things online which i normally hate anyway being mm-hmm. like please do not worry about sending this oh um, so it's so nice. that's lovely that you're doing like yeah you're making yeah. it to order well we were making it to order anyway just because we it's so funny we we were really we piloted it in september the made to order collection it went really well we were really nervous because our makers are so close by and we found a fabric supplier that prints in lancashire which is fantastic wow so you've got like printers in lancashire is it and where where's your other sort of when you talk about suppliers where's the chain for you guys so our tent cell is made in china at the minute because they're the best equipped to do Skills it workers, yeah we love to you know have it a little bit closer but the factory we're using is super super eco-conscious and we've met the guy who runs it he came over and we met him at the future fabrics expo just a really bobby dazzler of a human being and his dad used to work with the father of the guy at the printing mill so that's like two generations of working together um steadfast and barracks which is the printing mill in lancashire that we use they've been going for 128 years they're amazing um so we've set that partnership up so yeah it's super super local and then it comes down to tower hamlets it gets made a community arts charity that we work with um in limehouse town hall we work with about five women jackia does the cutting fataha malika and matali do the um sewing mostly of the garments and um then it gets quality protect by Gracie at Fabric Works. He's the production manager. And then we courier it to Kentish Town, which is just up the road from our head office. And we work with a, a, another charity called the Camden Society. And they train people with learning disabilities to pack and post everything. So we know, you know, we've met someone from each part of that supply chain, which is great. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we were doing made to order this beautiful new collection. Bit nervous that people were going to have to wait a week or three for it, but they seemed to love it. They seemed to go for it. And then two weeks later, we were in lockdown. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a best ever month. We, we had some investment on the way, which has been postponed, potentially cancelled, um, which is tough. But obviously, we're kind of in survival mode, not growth mode at the minute um, because of the epidemic. Because our warehouse staff, a lot of them have existing health conditions because it's adults with learning disabilities. And also the women that we work with, you know, they're from like ethnic minority backgrounds. They're from low income backgrounds. They've got like kids to care for. The charities made the decision to pause like all activities. I mean, the schools are closed. So So exactly. We were 100% behind that. We were like, it's non-essential. 
um obviously we want to you know raise as many sales as possible and we have this emergency fund and like we've been whatsapping our makers chatting to them it's incredible our, our embroiderer mona she works on her housing estate and she usually does sewing classes for the local community she's been doing that for 20 years um she already got always she's also got an embroidery machine that she usually does school uniforms with but she does like your t-shirt she does like all of our t-shirts um she was stuck in egypt and couldn't afford to get a ticket back she had to get a really expensive new ticket on her credit card um so we were like put out an appeal and managed to pay for like her ticket back which was great um so she might be able to return back to work and just not teach classes but just go to the workroom on her own and do the t-shirts um but yeah i just think it's non-essential work you know yeah Yeah. exactly but she is that's been one of the nicest things like we raised that money for her trade like her plane ticket in like a week just by putting out a newsletter which was fantastic we've set up a patreon account so that we can keep adding to that emergency fund um and i think our makers we're just talking to them like every week and the one of the nicest things about working with charities rather than factories is that they are getting holistic support so um Stephen who does most of our packaging and postage he's uh, autistic and the disruption to his routine is really challenging but the manager at the warehouse is like having an online meeting with him every morning just to check on him giving him loads of activities to do and like yeah it's been really great actually to know how everyone's getting on and obviously they know that if they need anything at all we're here as well with a bit of money cushion if they need for emergencies so it's just a very different approach I think to a lot of brands <laughs> that we've seen yeah um, it's it's like a complete 180 it's the complete opposite of every other fashion brand yeah I guess well to be honest like first and foremost we are a social enterprise like my background is working in women's charities Susan's background is working in fashion um like you know, we absolutely exist to make beautiful clothes that fit people well and that they like and to make content and to educate and engage. And that's, you know, in peacetime, that is our number one priority. But um, also our number one priority is just the welfare of our makers. And that's why we, you know, exist. So for us, if we can keep revenue coming in, it doesn't really matter if we're hitting those profit targets or, you know, sales targets, as long as we can support the women that we're working with. So, um, yeah, it's a tricky one. We've had to explain to quite a lot of people because people have been reaching out being like, can you make PPE, Um, which we want to. But for us, it's just not worth putting those communities at risk, especially, you know, when they're in central London from communities who we have seen have a higher death rate. It's just not worth it for us. It wouldn't um, be ethical and... I don't think it is, yeah. yeah. I imagine they could do it, but I feel like there's, you know... Why would you put them in danger to do that? I know, I know, exactly. And the government shouldn't have let our pandemic stocks dwindle during austerity. Shouldn't be counting gloves as individual items to inflate the figures. (laughs) The government and maths is, oof. Yeah. Great, is it? Yeah, my best friend's working frontline at the Nightingale at the minute. No I'm in Tower Hamlet, so it's literally... Oh, really? Yeah, everything yeah. you've talked about is just around the corner. Yeah. What are they doing oh, at the Nightingale? It's massively underutilised. There's barely any beds being used because there's no nurses. There's a shortage of nurses. We've, again, shortage of skilled labour. Um, and there's all this machismo about, oh, we built a massive hospital in like two weeks, but it's not being used because... There's no staff. 
yeah exactly and a lot of our we had we had a nursing shortage anyway before we made it an uncomfortable place to come and live and work exactly because we decided to leave the eu so we've got no nurses it's just exactly i'm really glad we're getting to talk about these things because i feel like we're redundant but then it's so you know when you think about the hostile environment, precarious mm. worker situations. This is why we have a situation in the UK where tens of thousands of garment workers in Leicester are paid £3.50, you know, less than the minimum wage because of the hostile environment and because of how we undervalued kind of skilled workers are, especially if they're not white, especially mm. if they're not from the UK. Um, so yeah, it definitely all ties in. And that's kind of why we, you know, we do designs like No Borders. That's why we, we, um, speak our mind a little bit more than yeah. a fashion brand probably should <laughs> i love it i love it you guys are your as well like i just yeah i was well, a bit nervous about doing that kind of thing but i'm like oh yeah like yeah. You've, got to, you've got to sort of stand up for what you believe in really. and i feel like the best of fashion encompasses the rest of the world like you know fashion is a mirror to express ourselves and to kind of understand and express what's going yeah. on in society so it's not a bubble separate from us is it exactly i mean it can be you know candy floss kind of frivolity yeah, escapism, escapism. Mm. <laughs> but um that's you know i'd get into couture if, it, if that was the thing you know like i'm not gonna be wearing you know that kind of thing in my day-to-day life so okay no, no birds on couture collection for a little while then <laughs> we'll see we won't rule it out maybe if we can do some protest couture let's see <laughs> i like that i like it um so i mean we are in a pandemic um can customers or people listening to this podcast anyone out there what would you recommend to help support brands like birdsong um we absolutely have our orders still open you can still buy online um you can still pay with klarna as well so you can pay in installments to make it a little bit more affordable if you have had a drop in income it's really really important for our workers morale and also just to keep our overheads that we do still get sales um, you will just have to wait a little bit longer, but it will give you something to look forward to. And hopefully you've not got any urgent parties or weddings to attend. So hopefully you can wait. Well, no, I've had three <laughs> cancelled this summer already. I know, same. I can't wait to go to a wedding. I never thought I'd be like, raring. We're going to be chocker with weddings come 2021. <laughs> yeah, well, or divorces, depending on how well quarantine's gone. We'll see. Um <laughs> thought of that. Keep <laughs> it light, Sophie. <laughs> um yeah you can support us on our website we've also got our patreon patreon.com slash birdsong london have a look at what other brands and creatives are on there because that's a fantastic way to support and um 100 of birdsong revenue is going to either you know our makers or us but um yeah patreon really helps as well and then i think it's such an easy thing it's like a pound it's like a pound a week isn't it yeah so, pound a week so no pound a month even oh, sorry pound a month so so it's, yeah. it's so easy 12 quid a year and you won't even notice it coming out bargain. It's like it's an absolute bargain and it makes a huge difference to us it's like a vote of confidence you know it's it helps our overheads we've already covered quite a lot of our overheads with the signups we've got um and yeah, I just say, just keep in touch, like just keep morale going. It's really sad. I saw a slow fashion brand had to shut its doors um, yesterday, which is really terrifying. You know, this is real. Some smaller brands and social enterprises won't make it through this. Um, we've had a tiny grant. We've had about £4,000, which has helped massively, but it's not going to, you know, keep us open for six months if we can't produce. So I think just keep in touch, keep supporting, keep liking our content ask if there's anything you can do support um financially when you can 
and yeah just just remember us keep us in your thoughts exactly exactly (laughs) but yeah we've been getting I think everyone's I don't know about you but like lockdown's been making me really gushy and like soppy I'm just going to share now I cried before I came into this podcast Uh, because I've just been having a terrible morning looking at things and going I just don't know what to do and then my friend knows that like through all the anxiety, I found this puzzle at work. So I brought it home and I did this incredibly boring puzzle of an ordnance survey map of Eastbourne. It was so, most of it was... <laughs> Whatever helps. And my friend sent me a puzzle of the two of us and I opened it, laughed and burst into tears. And I was like, I've got to do an interview in a minute. Put yourself together, woman. Was it like a jigsaw review? It's a jigsaw review. Amazing. I know, I haven't even told my husband yet, but yeah. That's so, so cute. It is, it's just, oh. it's just such hard times, isn't it? You just... Oh, totally. I get the seven o'clock sads where I just spontaneously burst into tears I think it's the point where I'm getting like hangry just before tea and I yeah call it the seven o'clock sads I'll just start crying in the kitchen and then luckily my housemate's like let's go do a Bob Ross so we do a little Bob Ross paint along and then I calm down because it's all on Netflix I'm also doing like really creepy naff portraits of all my friends to send them in the post um what I like anonymously because <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's creepy if it's anonymous I think it's quite sweet if it's from you <laughs> well the first one I did I was like okay I'm gonna send it to him hopefully he's not offended hopefully I've not accentuated a feature he's really insecure about I'm oh, not the bless you. but then I put it on Instagram like if you consent to be drawing you <laughs> so it's really nice actually I'm drawing like some friends that like moved out of London or I haven't seen for a little while and I'm getting really soppy like looking at their faces just being like yeah, I think they'd be more creeped out if I like put it on a bedsong t-shirt or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they might be to, after lockdown. They'll be like, uh, just FYI, that's not going to be in the summer autumn collection, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I think they're used to me like roping them into shoots and things. <laughs> yeah, used to me having like a six foot poster of them at my office. <laughs> <laughs> so glad we're sharing on the podcast today. I'm loving. It. <laughs> um, Queen of TMI. So. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm loving it. This is what I. This is what I live for. Um, we do always ask our guests two very important questions. We are called the Age of Plastic. Um, so I have to ask you, your favourite non-single-use plastic item, Sophie? Oh, I am like absolutely attached to my phone. So yeah. use that, but I kind of have a love-hate relationship with it. Me too. And so, social media. Yeah, I know. Mine's yeah. mainly on silent, so that's sort of my excuse yeah mm. I've got like I used to have like app timers that went off after seven o'clock but now I'm like nope, nope can't do that <laughs> 14 hours a day of screen time please sign me up I interviewed Rob Hopkins for the podcast mm. who's written an amazing book about creativity and the environment mm. and his suggestion in the book was to put your phone on black and white I can oh, just never yeah. I can never find anything so I turned it off after about two weeks it was really helpful for like a short period of time I think I might have to get back into that yeah I've got that it goes black and white after midnight if I'm using it so first it goes like seven. I thought you were gonna say seven midnight is like you should definitely <laughs> be in bed by midnight <laughs> yeah I, I was trying to think I was like I can't remember when it because I've not made it I've not been awake past midnight for about three months so. oh, yeah bedtime at eight o'clock after, <laughs> after the seven o'clock sads we're all in bed by eight exactly yeah it just it just go black and white so I can't scroll in the night which oh. is on the act I did was guilty of so yeah that is really helpful <laughs> um Sophie also our final question for today I mean we could talk all day but we probably you probably have things to do um <laughs> your uh, environmental hero please oh 
I was going to think about this. Oh, it's such a tough one. Um, <laughs> Everyone's always like, can I have two? Can I have, actually, there's a third and a fourth. Wow, there's so many. Um, That's a tough one. I think, is it Little Miss Flint? The like, campaigner, oh, campaigning yeah. for clean water and Flint? Because I just saw that if not, I have, well, I didn't just see, but I, I reminded me this, this morning that I saw a tweet that they haven't had clean water since what? 2016 yeah 2016 I think you're right yeah yeah and she's just not just a school but she's a school girl and she's been doing this I mean Greta's got huge platform Uh amazing Uh but this little kid's been you know soldiering on without the press coverage exactly Exactly. Yeah. yeah yeah I think there's so many amazing indigenous activists who've been campaigning for environmental rights for decades Mm. if not a century now so like (laughs) Yeah, I would love to centre their work. And yeah, yeah. Mm. Anyone who's doing anything, just thanks. Cheers. <laughs> I was gonna say it makes me sleep better at night, but that's a lie. <laughs> I'm not sleeping at night, so. No one's sleeping. No one's sleeping. Welcome to my world. <laughs> <I'm insomniac. laughs> I know I used to be like my husband's a bit of an insomniac, but I can normally sleep really well and lockdown is just it's kaput. I'm awake at like 4 a.m. Yeah. It's awful, isn't it? Yeah. It does feel like I've got more friends in the night now. <laughs> I can hear half the house awake and I'm like, ah, oh, not just me. Oh, bless you. <laughs> oh, well, good luck with everything bird song. I've got to now go and decide whether it's going to be the green maxi or <gasps> gold prairie. Oh, they're my they're two both. faves. Beautiful. They're both so beautiful. The green is a bestseller, but the is gold it? prairie is a press favourite, I would say. So, yeah, the yeah. shots are amazing of it. Very, very cool. <laughs> yeah, it looks beautiful. Thank you so much. I would thank you so much. Day. Yes, no, I should probably let you get on with your day. But so <laughs> thank you so much for being on the Age of Plastic podcast. Thank you so much. So lovely to meet you. And thank you stay you. in touch. And hopefully, after this, we'll be in real life. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I have completed that puzzle that my friend sent me that made me cry. Um, now, I am not going to encourage you to buy things that you don't need. But if you can afford it right now, £1 a month to support Birdsong in their Patreon, I highly recommend it. You will get all of their Fashion Revolution Week content as well. Or if you are happily working from home and you have no financial worries at the moment, why not take a look at their gorgeous spring collection? Maybe you're hopeful for a belated summer trip come September or October. Uh, I will put the links in the show notes, but they are birdsong.london. On to today's eco life hack. Now, I am a little bit garden obsessed. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll know I have upwards of 15 houseplants. It's probably more than that, actually. If you were slightly distressed to hear that there were lots of plants in garden centres that are probably going to die or go to waste, go to landfill, um, never fear. Plant Savers is a company I've discovered and ordered some plants with. They're rescuing them from small independent uh, garden centres that are closed currently. Uh, You may also find that your local independent garden centre has arranged click and collect or deliveries. I know that recycling company First Mile also teamed up with Planet Pack. Uh, Links to all of those are in the show show notes if you fancy brightening up your lockdown with some plants now don't be a stranger until the next episode let me know your eco life hacks or just let us know how you are coping in lockdown you can find my email at our instagram age of plastic podcast or you can find me on twitter andrea underscore fox and you can also buy me via my website i am andreafox.co.uk until next time stay safe and stay home oh and wash your hands (laughs) 